Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Russian President Putin's attempt to freeze Ukraine into submission. We'll be getting the latest update from Zarina Zabriskie in Mykolaiv. Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which features content that you can't read anywhere else. We don't have a millionaire backer. There is no big media corporation behind us. We rely on ordinary readers and listeners like you to support our fearless, independent journalism. So please, if you can, take out a subscription. You get more details over at our news-breaking website, bylinetimes.com. A subscription costs from as little as £3 a month. Might make a great Christmas present for someone? Go on, head over to bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Zarina Zabriskie. Now, Zarina, last time we spoke, you were in Odessa. You've since been in Hesson and now Mykolaiv. How exactly has it been for you? Yeah, uh, you got it almost right. So, you know, whoever is listening to Adrian Goldberg's radio and Byline Time podcast regularly, which I totally recommend for all the shows, not just following up on Ukraine and the situation here with me. You might have heard that I'm based in Odessa since pretty much the beginning of the war, almost the beginning of the war. I have been based in Mykolaiv the last a little bit over the week, I'd say, with going to Kherson on a daily basis. The reason I'm doing that is that because staying in Kherson is possible. A lot of people are still staying there, but it would be virtually impossible to have this podcast or to do any kind of work. And frankly, it is very unsafe and pretty uncomfortable, more uncomfortable than even staying in Mykolaiv or these days in Odessa. And that brings us to the subject for today, which is a death by cold strategy chosen by Putin now for his genocide of the Ukrainian people. And there's a word for it. If you are familiar with history, in the 1930s and all the way through the 50s, Stalin came up with Holodomor, which means death by hunger. And that killed millions of people. People are still uh, debating, people meaning historians are still debating about the exact number of people killed. But we're talking about millions here. That was a one genocide of Ukrainian people by the Soviet Union, by Russia, in a way, engineered by Stalin. Now, in 2022, we are looking at what we called Holodomor, which means death by cold. And I can tell you it is very, very cold. And when, as right now, electricity is not working, there's no heat in some cities, including Mykolaiv, Water is not coming out of the tap most of the time or some of the time. It's not death yet, but it's very, very difficult. And it's snowing and it's freezing now. And we just went to Kherson today. That's what we did do every day with my colleagues. I team up with various groups of journalists because I don't have a car. So there are kind people who kind enough to give me a ride there. And then we do different projects there. So say today, I would say it was minus three centigrade, maybe colder, especially by the river. 
And I saw birds who froze to death, pigeons by there, because there's no warm shoots, no warm pipes, where usually the street animals can get warm in the winter, in the midst of the winter. So kind of part of the nature, because we saw cats taking the dead birds and eating them. So the cats are doing fine. There's a lot of dogs that were either abandoned by their owners and their families who have to flee, or in some cases, owners are dead. I've been told that in a Kharkov animal shelter. We don't know because the dogs are running around and they have collars. You could tell that it's this dog used to belong to someone, but now they're gangs of dogs. They're very friendly and they eat bread. We've been bringing bread and feeding these dogs. And I don't know how many of you have seen dogs eating bread, but we have. So today, actually, we were bringing a loaf of bread to feed the dogs. And a man came up to me in the street during the shooting. There was a lot of shelling going around and we were filming that. And the man came up to me and asked me for some bread. So I gave that bread to a man. As for the food, it's still available. Uh, Last so in Kherson. It's harder to get it because fewer stores are open and the prices are much higher than in Mykolaiv or Odessa. In Mykolaiv, the drinking water is a major issue because the Russians have broken down the water pipes that feed the the city of Mykolaiv with water way back in the beginning of the summer, I believe. And I'm about to release, I'm editing now, a great interview with the mayor of Mykolaiv, who explains everything that happened to the city from the beginning of the war and the issues that the city and the city administration are now facing in the midst of the cold with no heat and still being targeted by the strikes. So I recommend that. I will share that on my Twitter, the easiest way to find it. And in Kherson, people have been living without electricity, heat, running water, internet for couple of months by now. And as soon as the maintenance crews fix the electricity, the Russians shell the infrastructure objects again in Kherson specifically because the city, the one of the banks of the river is taken by the Russians and they can reach the other areas of Kherson from that opposite bank of the river, and they immediately damage the facilities that ensure the life in the city. So it's it's that kind of sort of terrorism, Adrian. And this phrase then, Holodomor, that's my English pronunciation, forgive me, has deep resonance in Ukraine, as you say, going back to the early 1930s around anywhere between two and a half and five million people starved to death in Ukraine as a result of decisions taken by Stalin, the Soviet leader, the Russian leader at the time. And this new word is the same word reflecting on starvation, but with a K in front of it, K-H-O-L-O. D-O-M-O-R. Holodomor is how I would pronounce it. I'm sure I've got it wrong, but it's deliberately evokes the famine of the 1930s, which is ingrained deep in Ukrainian culture and in the Ukrainian psyche. 
And it's your belief that Putin is trying to do exactly the same now in 2022 to force Ukraine into submission. Well, yes, Adrian, and it's not just my belief. I believe that Mr. Soltenberg was talking about this another day, saying that Putin has been weaponizing winter, just as Stalin was weaponizing the harvest or lack of thereof. They are turning to nature to turn nature uh, into a killing machine, which is easy in this climate. Like I've mentioned before, you know, any human being or animal could be frozen to death when there is no way of getting warm. Like, in fact, right now, and I'm doing much better than most people, it's a comfortable apartment, but I have to put on like several layers of clothes and like put a jacket on top because it's just simply very, very cold and there is no way to warm this apartment unless we start a fire in the middle of the floor, which is, of course, not doable. But how are people managing to stay warm then? They dress warmly. Fortunately, in Mykolaiv, the city was able to figure out the scheme, I should say, or the plan when they switch the electricity and it alternates. Some areas will get it for two hours and then it will switch off. Then the next area will get it. So during this time, you warm up your apartment, you charge your gadgets, you know, your phone, your computer, you try to do laundry because that's not enough. You try to take a shower or wash your hair, which becomes a problem because, of course, also there's only technical water coming out of the tub in Mikolaiv, which is very salty. It's not that great neither for your skin nor for your hair, and you absolutely cannot drink it. So you have to buy the bottles of water and heat it whenever you have the access to electricity. There are also these invincibility hubs in different towns and cities. Tell me more about them. That was an initiative by the servant of the people, which is the name of the ruling party, that's Zelensky's party. And I believe it was Zelensky's initiative, actually. I heard some criticism, which is quite typical for Ukraine. Ukraine is a very democratic country. And whenever they're elected officials, they start criticizing them quite harshly, too. So I, I saw some reports that some invincibility points in Kiev were not equipped quite uh, the way that they, they, they were expected to or were not open at the time that when they were being open. But in my experience, they work. The one that I like the most and which obviously really needed is uh, downtown Kherson, where people are freezing and hungry and there's no place to go and there's this nice big tent and uh, if you're interested to see it you can go to ebt news as the channel which i co-run with a number of other journalists and you could see my reportage on that that's very short you see that both people and dogs are allowed and everybody walks in it's warm people are charging their phones there's hot water some hot drinks Kids are playing. It's nice atmosphere and it's really needed. Oh, and you can connect there to Starlink so people can either talk to their loved ones or I met a man who had to report and send the photos of his destroyed house to the police so eventually he can get some compensation for his property being destroyed. And the attacks continue then. You uh, sent me a message earlier saying that in Herson you'd had to 
dodge some shelling. We know that in Zaporizhia, there was a, an awful incident, two people killed, including a one-year-old baby. They're definitely trying to shell wherever they can. They can reach Zaporizhia from the other side of the river, and they can reach parts of Kherson from the other side of the river. And that's exactly where we were today with another British journalist and another Ukrainian journalist as well. And we were at the river port trying to see if there's any evacuation from the other side of the river. It's the second time that we're trying to see it, but it's just not happening. The river is completely empty. Like I said, it's very cold there. And we met a couple of soldiers there who told us to stay put where we are because under the arch shelter, because the shelling was coming right targeted at the river port. So we had to wait it out. And then we ran across the uh, square which is quite frozen and slippery. And at the time as we were running, they started to shell again. And that was really, really close. So I was filming as we were running. So you'll get to see somewhat dramatic footage of us running. But it didn't hit anywhere close to us. It might have, but we didn't see it. So, you know, once you get used to it, you you wear, definitely you wear your bulletproof vest, you wear your helmet, you have a medical kit with you, you get on the ground if it's closed. There are certain procedures, security ones that you follow, and uh, you know the risk, and you are just there as a journalist to report it and to show the world what the Russians are doing to the Ukrainian people. And Ukraine has managed to strike into Russia, has managed to hit two air bases in Russia in recent days as well, showing that Ukraine, as well as having a great spirit of resilience and resistance, is militarily striking back. Yes, the spirit is great. Whereas the soldiers who came to warn us today to stay put and shelter, and um, my colleague uh, asked them, aren't you afraid? Are you safe? And they go, well, you know, eight, nine months of that. And then they joked, we have uh, bravery pills that we take when we're not afraid, basically. And then they, they joke a lot because we, we said, like, how long do you suggest we stay here and shelter before we run across the square? And he goes, why are you asking me? Ask Putin. I don't know. I'm not shelling that. <laughs> I've seen figures, though, suggesting that as many as 13,000 Ukrainian soldiers may have died, as many as 100,000 Russian soldiers are thought to have been killed or wounded. So it's terrible to talk about human life in this way, but on the ground, Ukraine relatively is doing well. Yes, it does, because the soldiers here are very well trained. Uh, they've been at war since 2014. This stage of war is called the full-scale invasion. Before that, there was war in Donbass, as you know, going on since 2014. And now, with the better equipment uh, coming from the Allies constantly, and there's a lot of training, some of it happening in the UK, all over Europe. We know of some, some of another one are not being disclosed. So yeah, the, and the main thing, Adrian, is that morale is great. In the military science, the morale is the number one factor. And the Russian soldiers, they don't have motivation. They are on the foreign land. 
They're not sure why they are fighting. Like you said, there's huge losses, which they, of course, witness and know. And one of the stories that I'm investigating right now, it's too early to go into details, but I can tell you and disclose a little bit what it is. There is a constant rumor circulating in Kherson about the bodies of the Russian soldiers being burned by the Russian authorities in the dump in Kherson. And it came up so often, and it was mentioned by so many people, that a number of journalists started to look into it. And the investigation is still ongoing, and there are various reports. But I can tell you that there are definitely instances of that, and we are going to investigate further, and I will let you know, of course. But even though this is not yet concrete, we can say for sure that it happened. I have personally seen, I believe I mentioned it in the show with you, the bodies of the Russian soldiers abandoned in the fields near Kharkov. And that that's a fact that has been confirmed by many military authorities here in in Ukraine and human rights defenders. As for the numbers, we always hear, and that is true, that during the war, it is impossible to confirm the numbers. We cannot neither confirm nor deny the numbers given by both sides. And uh, for people who are into numbers, uh, go for the British intelligence results and the American Institute of Study of War and Pentagon compare these numbers and you might have some vague idea of what's going on, but I'm not going to give these numbers because I didn't count these bodies. That's impossible to to come up with the exact number. No, absolutely. I know that figure of 100 to 150,000 Russian troops injured or killed came from an advisor to President Volodymyr Zelensky. BBC is estimating something smaller than that. They're talking about just under 10,000 Russian soldiers of all ranks having been killed, although even they acknowledge that it could be as high as 18,600, just reflecting on the confusion that there is around this. They also estimated that up to mid-June, there had been 3,600 civilian deaths in Ukraine, but acknowledge that now, following this recent wave of bombing, the true figure could be much higher. Just yesterday, the Ukrainian authority came up with, a, uh, I believe, 9,600 civilian uh, victims. And I'm convinced that civilian body count will be much higher because we have Mariupol uh, we have, you know, in Kherson, it is not clear. Only in Kherson, 800 people, according to the prosecutor, were imprisoned by the Russian occupational authorities, and half of them are missing. And part of these uh, people might have been taken to the Crimea, but most of them most likely are dead. And, uh, you know, I've been at the mass graves we're talking about thousands of people here. But again, until this war is over, we won't be able to finalize or put a numeric value on that. We just know that a lot of people are dying, and that's horrible. Absolutely. There is one thing that would be kind of silly not to mention, because the last massive attack on Ukraine happened yesterday. So we're just recovering from it. The fact that I don't have the light now 
we did have these interruptions before, but it's much harsher. And in Odessa right now, where my friends are living and staying and working, there's no running water, there's no light, the transportation has stopped, the trams and the trolley buses. And as of yesterday, the ATMs were not working, so people didn't have the way of getting cash. And we know that Russia has been doing this massive attacks every week or every other week we had a gap for two weeks so they didn't do it and then on monday they sent about 80 missiles to ukraine and of course the air defense intercepted a large number of them but it's happening with this hellish consistency and i am with the same consistency repeating everywhere on air in writing that this needs to stop and for that we need here in ukraine ukrainian people rather need air defense the air defense system that will protect the infrastructure that will protect the lives of people and that's where i want to end the air defense is still needed another mass attack is uh, another mass strike is on the way Serena, thank you so much as well as at bylinetimes.com and in the byline times you can read more from Zarina at bylinesupplement.com as well, a new platform with extra byline content. That's bylinesupplement.com. Do check it out. And don't forget as well to take out a subscription to the Byline Times. More details at bylinetimes.com. We wish Serena the very best for a safe return from Ukraine. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been the Byline Times podcast. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.